uh, yeah, I just thought that was one of the most incredible things ever. And what were the takeaways from it? Um, <laughs> sell after you've bought at some point. You know, sell on the way up. Don't panic on the way down. That's a, that's a bloody good point. Welcome to the Exponential Investor Podcast. Want to be a better, smarter, more clued up investor? Well, you've come to the right place. We cover the breakthrough investment ideas you don't hear about in the mainstream to keep you on top of the megatrends and opportunities reshaping our world. Good morning and welcome to a very special New Year's Eve edition of the Exponential Investor Podcast. Yes, I am your editor, Sam Volkering, here with my co-editor, Kit Winder, and we've got nothing better to do on the 31st of January than have a bit of a yarn and send out this podcast to you. Now, uh, I'm sure you've all got very important things to do tonight. Um, drinking, partying, all of the above, or none of the above, uh, and just watching us on repeat. But um, we thought we'd take this particular podcast to take a little bit of a lighter look back at the year that's gone past. Um, it's been a tricky one, not going to lie. Uh, 2020 was weird enough. 2021 has continued with the weirdness. Um, and the market's uh, all over the shop. So let's dive in, Kit. Let's let's have a bit of a look back. If you if you cast your mind back to, to earlier in the year or even the middle of the year or just any part of the year, really, what do you think? What do you think are some of the key takeaways that that people can can take away into 2022 from 2021? Key takeaways. I think the first thing on my mind when I think about the start of the year is just, I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but GameStop and just the whole meme stop saga of just incredible, you know, breadth of everyone getting stimulus checks and just people who've never invested before just charging in all these Reddit groups. I think it's one of the maddest things I've ever seen in markets. You just watched this thing go up 50% day after day for a couple of weeks and suddenly you know, incredible money was made and lost in the space of a month. It was like the microcosm of an entire bull market on sort of collective behavior and, you know, ape kind of stuff. And uh, yeah, I just thought that was one of the most incredible things ever. And what were the takeaways from it? Um, <laughs> sell after you've bought at some point, you know, sell on the way up, don't panic on the way down. That's a, that's a bloody good point. I think you're, so right, like the 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 meme stock trading phenomenon, the 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 short squeeze phenomenon from earlier in the year. It was so it was GameStop, it was AMC. I think there might have been a couple of cannabis companies in there. Um, Make an argument that Tesla's pretty driven by sort of retail options frenzy, Robinhood, that whole sort of yeah. same kind of collective group. Wow, well, Robinhood as well. Right? I mean, it 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 absolutely went to town and and, and skyrocketed as well and. You know, a lot of those stocks are now uh, fractions of where they were in terms of their all-time highs. And uh, I, I remember, you know, it was it GameStop to a thousand or something like that was one of the driving memes. Um, there were too many to count. In, incredible stuff. But you're right, right? You, you know, take profits on the way up. The, the, the lesson of having an exit strategy is equally as important as having an entry strategy. Um, because I think, do you know what? I, I reckon that the irrational nature of markets, it's the same thing time and time again, right? Markets boom or a stock booms or a position booms. And people are like, wow, 
yeah, we're just, this is just starting. And the short-term moves are typically no, because not everything goes up in a straight line all the time. And so you're right, you've just got to take profits where you can. Uh, interesting you mentioned Tesla as well. I mean, any other thoughts on, on what Tesla's been doing this year? Uh, too too many to count in the wake of Elon Musk being named uh, Time Magazine's Man of the Year, which is one of the classic contrarian indicators. I think Jeff Bezos was 1999, just before Amazon lost 97% of its value or something. Uh, Chrysler in 1927 or 8 lost 99% of its value over the next four years. And there's a number of other examples. Um, Basically, Time Magazine is the best predictor of a, a stock route. Yeah, well, it's just also there's sort of, you know, we live in a kind of weird, horrible age where stupid memes and gags and weird things on Twitter and, you know, stupid jokes. I don't know. It's sort of a horrible culture of personality and silliness. And Tesla is one of the largest six stocks in the world, uh, bigger than the rest of the American car industry combined by market cap. Um and not taking away from all of the incredible things that that company has achieved that has sort of driven the energy transition that I talk about so much and think is so amazing. But like he does embody, he is the man of the year in terms of that he embodies all of the absolute worst aspects of the things that have been happening this year. And we talked about GameStop and, and the rest. And yeah, the, the cult personality driven stock moves is kind of scary and you fear that people will and did get hurt and you fear it again with Tesla. Um, and, and one thing to note is, I've I've spoken a number of times about how uh, Tesla is one of the sort of the four horsemen of the coming apocalypse, having led the stock market higher for the last sort of one to f- one to three years, very aggressively, alongside sort of a Bitcoin or a SoftBank or something else. If those four are struggling and Tesla is struggling, the the Arc ETF, the Arc Innovation ETF from Kathy Wood is the fourth one. You know, they are something of a bellwether of speculative appetite, uh, and they went up together, and they now seem to be coming off a little bit together. Um, and so, in terms of takeaways for it, watch it, be careful of it, and um, risk management again, as with GameStop, don't be overexposed, don't allow yourself to lose all your money on a stock that could well be worth, you know, fifty or a hundred dollars rather than a thousand. Yeah, you know, I, f- I find the whole Elon Musk thing, like he's been a dominant part of this year, whether it's, um, you know, the the actions of what Tesla's been up to or, you know, Tesla deciding to, like, did you remember the, the, the robot, the Tesla bot that they decided to, he decided to do this weird press conference with the Tesla bot and, and then, you know, there's everything around what that company alone is doing with Elon Musk. And then also his tweets on, on, on crypto like Dogecoin, right? So he, a tweet from Elon uh, sent Dogecoin up 20% uh, a couple of weeks back um, when he said that they'll look to take Dogecoin as payment for merchandise in the Tesla store. Um, and this is after, you know, I think it was a few weeks before that, they released a Tesla whistle, which was in the shape of the Cybertruck. I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, don't get me started on that. Did you see the SEO stuff around it? No. Well, within a week, there was a genuine whistleblower complaint around safety concerns on the solar panels. And someone came out and said that these had been squashed. And essentially, it turned out that what Elon Musk was doing with this stupid whistle was search engine optimization. It meant he had a week's head start on a real whistleblower and everyone had been Google searching Tesla whistles. And the top three results on Google weren't another whistleblower alleges, you know, criminal levels of negligence and 
uh, lack of safety at Tesla, it was, haha, isn't Elon Musk funny? He's doing more memes and whistles and stuff. I look forward to then when Tesla released their Death Squad movie uh, and he starts uh, releasing the Tesla Death Squad movie uh, through their merchandise store as well, I suppose. Um, that's astonishing. I, I didn't realize that, but now that you now you, you put it like that, it's kind of sick. It is ridiculous that this is, yeah. Time man of the year. Um, well, he's he's the he's the master of narrative, and we live in a narrative-driven market. And he understands it, and he drives it. And you know, there's a guy Ben Hunt of Epsilon Theory who writes a lot about this kind of thing. But narratives are one of the most powerful things in markets today. And and he is he's the as bi- good bi- as bi- anyone bi- I've ever seen at manipulating them. You know, he's a marketing genius, and that encapsulates why he's man of the year for me. Yeah. Well, time man of the year. Interesting prediction. But anyway, so aside from Musk, um. One of the things I think that caught my eye as well was um, just the the astonishing. It was it's a bit of a tale of two halves. With so I'll, I'll bring up the crypto markets, being it's such a, a focus of mine and something we do talk about quite a lot in exponential investor in the podcast. It's definitely a tale of two halves with the crypto market. Um, it, it it looks a bit like one of the um, uh, a camel camel humpback where you know some really big hard peaks in uh, around April. Uh, and then the market fell away through the middle of the year, and then oh, sort of October, late September, October, and early November, the market peaked again, uh, and then wound itself off. But uh, when you sort of blow out the the bigger picture, and you know companies like so, I think this year, so Robinhood activated crypto trading. Um, a lot of the, I think it was eToro and a bunch of others just got into uh, crypto trading through their investment apps. PayPal. Uh, also allows people now to buy crypto in their PayPal accounts. Um, a, a discernible move for me, I think, is one of my takeaways from the crypto market this year. A discernible move from big financial institutions into not just looking at, say, Bitcoin uh, as an example, but the whole crypto space as to how they can look to eke out some extra profits or returns for their investors. And uh, I think that might be a an interesting little rollover into 2022 as, as some of the maybe bigger institutional banks or investment banks start to look at how they can leverage the crypto markets for their own benefit. Um, you know, like we, we've, we've sort of covered in some editorial previously, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous that in a you know, high street bank account, you can earn 0.01 interest. And then, you know, you can roll over to the, to the crypto ecosystem and get five, nine, 10, 12 percent on stablecoin deposits. Um, there's a big disjoint there between the traditional and the crypto financial system. And um, I think we'll see a bit more of an awakening in 2022 about how some basic financial services um, in the crypto space start to be a bit more open and acceptable um, and accessible to. The average person, the average investor that's just looking to combat inflation. And 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 there it is, the, the big I word that's also probably one of the themes of 2021, uh, inflation. Now, I don't know about you, Kit, but earlier on in this year, it only cost me, I think it was about 85 quid to fill up my car. And I filled up the other day and it was over 100 pounds. And I was quite astonished by that. Yeah, I mean, 
at least you could get it. A few months ago, we had a fuel crisis in this country and you had to wait an hour. I forgot about that. God, we f- I forgot about the fuel crisis. <laughs> wow, fuel crisis, gas crisis. Maybe fossil fuels aren't all that, you know. Um, yeah, the inflation thing is interesting. I mean, towards the back end of this year, we have had more surprising inflation data. Month on month, every month, it, it surprises to the upside. You know, the economists forecast, those brilliant economists who've been getting it right all year. Um, and it's now just sort of a, a pretty well-known thing. Um, expectations are kind of bedded in. Everyone's talking about it. Everyone knows about it. So the interesting thing to go forwards with is, you know, prices having jumped 5% in the UK and 7% in America over the course of the year is that the base effects will now work somewhat in reverse, right? So next year, it will have to do that same effort. It will have to have those same supply crunches and demand pushes for it to do more 5 and 7%. Uh, growth next year. My expectation is probably that the supply side of the global economy will do some responding and and be able to meet the um, the higher demand more aggressively. And then there will also be a bit of sort of, uh, I guess, a, a slight drop off in demand as this year was kind of exciting coming out of lockdowns and people doing a lot of things. But maybe that's wrong. Maybe monetary policy has just given people so much money. I mean, uh, on a recent call that we had with some of the other editors. Uh, Rob Marstrand of uh, UK Independent Wealth, he was talking about the increase in bank deposits in the UK being at around, I think, 20 to 25%. In America, they were up by a third. So everyone just got given cash by the central banks and it's sitting in their bank accounts waiting to be spent. So, you know, I suggested at the start that the supply side could respond, increase its supply capacity to sort of meet demand and that base effects together would maybe just ameliorate things next year within i still think a larger framework of sort of higher inflation you know in the in the decade rather than next year i'm just saying it doesn't go up constantly in a straight line um but you know if these bank deposits get spent next year i'll be wrong and and inflation will continue at the sort of five to seven percent levels that we've been seeing uh and it's just really important to watch i mean it's noticeable to me you started with a comment on fuel prices that a couple of months ago there was a lot of hundred dollar oil talk and there was a lot of winter gas price crisis talks but gas prices are off 40 percent globally europe has some specific issues around storage uh, and russia and Nord Stream too but global natural gas futures are down 40 to 50 percent from their highs a couple of months ago oil got to about 85 brent crude 85 dollars a barrel uh and it crept below 70 a week or two ago and now it's sort of in the mid 70s and is no longer sort of it no longer has the momentum it no longer has the trend uh and it no longer probably quite has the I don't know, the forceful dynamics that people think it did. I, I for one, think that it sits in a pretty tight range where above $100 per barrel, you know, your OPEX and your oil-producing nations and companies will start to realise that people are being pushed towards electric vehicles. I mean, you mentioned the fuel cost is one of the key factors uh, for you. Uh, and below $40, $40 a barrel, they can't make a huge amount of money off it, or at least most of them can't. Uh, Saudi Aramco can still make $31 a barrel, at $40 oil, so they're all right. But um, for the majority of the industry, that $40 to $100 range, I think is significant in terms of demand destruction, people switching away from petrol cars at the top uh, and unprofitability at the, at the bottom of that range. So um, that's something I expect to stop driving inflation as well. Um, you know, it's worth mentioning. Well, we'll see. Certainly uh, keep an eye on your on your bills, keep an eye on your food shop people, keep an eye on your petrol uh, pump costs because... Hopefully, those prices should be heading lower uh, 
Whether that actually happens, I very much doubt that we'll see in 2022 anything that you pay for today becomes cheaper for you in 2022. But we'll see. We'll see. Um, I'll give you one last shot, Kit, at one of, and keep it short uh, because people have got to go off to party. Um, what's one of the funniest or more interesting things that uh, you will remember 2021 for? Um, on the spot, what can I think of? Um, <laughs> well, clearly you're going to have to give me a minute. Well, I, th- I thought I thought one of the one of the best stories of the year, a heartwarming story that people can take away, um, that you know isn't isn't uh, you know the fear and uncertainty, but a real genuine just heart warmer was the fact that Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez got back together. I mean, it's been, it's been something that we've all wanted, wanted, something we've all wanted to see for some time. Uh, and 2021 was the year that it finally happened. And if that doesn't make you feel good about life, I don't think anything will. Um, and perhaps just one more thing, Kit, that you, you can have the last say on before we wrap up today. But I think one of the other great things about 2021 was when Australia convincingly demolished England in the Ashes series over in Australia. I mean, it was always going to happen, wasn't it? This is tough. This is tough for me. The World 2020 tournament, that was tough for me. A week, you know, a couple of weeks ago with the Ashes series starting, I did a lot of late nights, Sam. I don't mind telling you. And they started with a lot of optimism and they ended with a lot of sadness. 2021, the year of Australian domination in cricket. Who would have thunk it, right? That's a sad thing to hear, isn't it? Anyway, it has been a fantastic year, Kit. Thank you very much for your input uh, in all of our exponential podcasts and in the Exponential Investor editorial. Thank you, everyone, for listening to us ramble on every Friday for 15, 20 minutes of your day. Uh, We appreciate you watching, listening, taking on board what we have to say and giving us your attention. We will be back in the new year in a week's time with the first of our 2022 episodes. I promise that it is going to be as thrilling as everything you've received in 2021. Thanks again. Uh, Happy New Year. Uh, Here's to an interesting 2021 and a hopefully prosperous 2022. We'll be back with you again soon. As for now, bye for now.